Hi and welcome to the Story of Design podcast. I'm Karina, your host, creator of the Design Story, who truly believes that there is so much more to design than meets the eye. This is a podcast that asks the why around design. We'll dig into designers, creative thinkers, and businesses that have stakes in shaping the future of the design industry. I'm inviting you all to join me in connecting with the effects of good, well-thought-of design. So, let's begin! This episode is sponsored by BioLiving, an innovator in sustainable weaving practices for design and architectural applications. Catherine Larson is a bio-based designer or an architectural technologist whose work focuses on seaweed and vernacular architecture. And in fact, she is one of the pioneers and an advocate in using seaweed in the context of building material. Of course, she came down to this after exploring and having lived in many places in the world, Japan, the United States, and currently she is residing in Denmark to further study the material. And today she is going to tell us that the seaweed patching method is something that she did not invent out of the blue, but it is rather an old method that has been used for generations in Laysa. So it is worthwhile to sometimes look at the past in a new lens, a new perspective, and a new attitude to successfully move forward. Right, Catherine? <laughs> uh, that's, that's correct. <laughs> so thanks a lot for joining us in this interview. Thank you for having me. So to start, as I'm sure many of us are new to this material, especially in the context of building material. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so a lot of us are newer to this material because we simply haven't heard of it, but this was actually a material used extensively across the globe as a building material. Mm -hmm. So when I first found out about this uh, material, eelgrass, um, I found out that in the U.S. we used it as an insulation material in walls in the 19th century, actually, in a product called Cabot's Quilt. So eelgrass was harvested from the beaches and then sewed in between two pieces of paper, and then people would put that in their walls to keep their building warm. So we had all this knowledge across the world of this material, um, and then I found out about its use in Denmark where it was used to thatch roofs. And so this is a really unique uh, application of this material, I thought, because not only was it used as insulation also in Denmark, it was also used as this external cladding, roof cladding material. Mm -hmm. And because of a global wasting disease in the 1930s, a lot of this knowledge and this use of this material fell out of favor. And we started relying more on synthetic materials so as I was studying this, I was uncovering uh, maybe 200, 300, 400 years of history of us using this material that we had just forgotten. Um, and I wanted to re research it and communicate it to people so that we could use it again. Yeah. And looking at it in a different setting now compared to, say, 50 years ago, um, what's this material's potential like now, in your opinion? So the way I see it as a potential is um, at the moment, a lot of insulation materials that we do use are very synthetic, but eelgrass is as uh, insulative as modern mineral wool. So 
And this is something that washes up still around the world. So if we were instead to use this material instead of synthetic materials, we would be using something that is, is currently seen as waste. And we would be using a bio-based solution that increases the possibility for us to have um, breathable construction. So when I say breathable construction, what I really mean is that air can pass through our building and ventilate. And this is really good because as time goes on, we're building our walls and our roofs thicker and thicker so that less heat escapes from our buildings, which is very sustainable because you're using less energy to heat up your building. But a lot of these synthetic materials, what they do is the ventilation is in a way so that moisture does not stay in the cavity, but instead mm. it diffuses out and it doesn't diffuse through the construction. So all this air is not getting into our living spaces. So essentially it's like we're all living in a gigantic plastic bag right now. So when we use these natural construction materials, instead the air is passing through into our spaces, giving us more ventilation and increasing um, the air quality in our living places. And poor mm -hmm. indoor air quality is tied to so many um, negative things. Like it's harder for students, for example, to focus on exams because the air quality is affecting them. Um, and it affects our well-being as well. Um, so I think that by returning to these sorts of materials, not only is it better from an environmental perspective when we, we, when we dem demolish them because these are bio-based materials, they can mm -hmm. rot and become compost. Um, also in terms of indoor air quality, it's really fantastic. Right. I really like that term breathable construction using natural materials because it means not only are we looking back to history in terms of the ceiling touching method and how it's discovered, but also to the old, old days and our natural tendency of using just natural materials to make our homes. Like it is always the natural thing to go back to nature. Yeah, definitely. And it, so it definitely has something to do with that as well as the fact that we need to start thinking about um, circularity in buildings. So when we demolish a building and we have all these synthetic materials, how do we dispose of them or how do we reuse them? And so when we're using natural materials, sometimes we can just turn them into compost instead of think, trying to think about, okay, how are we going to recycle this or reuse this? Um, so it becomes a little bit easier. Um, right. and. I think that's that's the real potential of all this. Right, especially when used in a prefabricated system, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, one of the one of the biggest challenges I would say working with this material is that people are afraid of using it and people are afraid of using loose seaweed in a context. So, by combining it with prefabrication, um, you're creating a solution that's easier for people to access and use in buildings. Right. And to welcome us all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite part working with seaweed or eelgrass? Uh, I think my favorite part is just how weird it is because it always <laughs> has that, that weird shock factor when I tell people like, oh, and by the way, this is, this is seaweed. 
And I keep saying it's seaweed, but it's, it's technically a type of seagrass. It, it grows in the ocean mm-hmm. though. So people have this idea that it's like slimy or it's stinky. So when I show them one of the panels and they start touching mm-hmm. it and they get really kind of excited and then they give it a big sniff and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, it smells like, like hay or grass. And they're really shocked. Um, so it's also that sort of like sensory experience, giving that to people um, and surprising mm-hmm. them with that, that I really like. Right. And on the topic of looking back to the past, um, how has looking to the past benefited you aside from the discovery of the material, but maybe also in the rethinking about the application of it or in other aspects? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we had so many different material applications historically, and we had unique building methods that had evolved over time for us to build with them. So the seaweed thatching method began on the island of Lesu in the Middle Ages. And over time, this process evolved. And at a certain point, it became women's work to thatch these roofs. And they treated the seaweed as if they were spinning wool. So they had a unique thatching method that they specifically developed over centuries to treat this material and to build with it. And this was something that was almost lost. So as I, as I research things and I come across these different historical building methods, I always see a potential to update them or to use them in an innovative way. Because, I mean, like I said, using natural materials is so fantastic for us. But the big burden, the big challenge is how do we make this accessible and easier for people to integrate it? Mm. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a really big inspiration for me to see how it was done historically, how it evolved, and then try to reimagine it. And so involving these crafters. Yeah, definitely. I can only imagine how hard it is to pioneer off such innovation in such a conservative industry. Um, so what's your plan in getting it out there? So, I mean, that's, that's a really big, interesting challenge is that here we have a material that has hundreds of years of use. And at the same time, it's incredibly difficult to actually get it approved to use in buildings currently because so much of this knowledge was lost and now everything is built in place for uh, synthetic materials and for concretes and standardized building that we sort of created over the last 60 to 80 years. Um, So the biggest challenge is definitely in Denmark getting to market. And there are people that have created uh, standardized solutions with eelgrass that are market ready, but the entry point to market is so incredibly difficult that they're really struggling to, to get their foot in the door. And so for me, seeing that, I don't necessarily see what I've created as a product per se, but I've seen it, I see it more as a method. And so I've been recently working a lot with tiny house design, and I proposed uh, using these panels in the context of a tiny house. And with tiny houses, you have less regulations than you would with uh, a normal house building or a larger project. So... I proposed it for this experimental tiny house uh, building, which is going to be tested over the course of five years. And we'll see if it actually gets built or not. But if it does, that would be a really excellent way to test it in the context of a building and to see how does it stand up 
and not be so worried about causing harm to people. Because that's the other reason why the industry is so conservative, because we're dealing with people's lives here. People are living right. in these spaces. So if moisture gets into your construction, if a product fails, it could really, really, really destroy people's lives. So it's so imperative that we be cautious and we test things out, even if in theory we think that they work or we have all this research that says that it might work, we still have to take it slow and careful. So when you said it's more of a method, are you um, suggesting that this is something people can learn and make themselves? I, I see it as something that I see it as, I have my own team that I fabricate it with but I see this as something that we could get Thatchers involved in local Thatcher groups and we could mm -hmm. teach them how to build these things and install them sort of like tiling on, on roofs and facades. So mm -hmm. that's, that's more of how I see it evolving. And I see it less as somebody going out to a store and purchasing one of these thatch panels. Right. And this way, it'll be more personal too to them to have sort of this guide or a do-it-yourself kit. And I do think the tiny houses prototype where people can see themselves and experience would be really amazing to have. Yeah. And I think also too, the, because I have been thatching these myself, the opportunity to work with actual thatchers would be um, really outstanding and would be a way to elevate it. Yeah. On that note, how's the prefab industry looking like in Europe right now? Yeah. So my first job ever, I worked for a prefab summer housing company. Um, so they had their own factory. And this is one of the most brilliant things is they have their own factory with a bunch of um, workers that are skilled workers, skilled carpenters. Mm -hmm. And they prefabricate all the elements, ship them, and within seven days, you have your house built. And it's beautiful quality, like just mm -hmm. beautiful, gorgeous woods. And everything is designed down to that little tiny degree so that it just comes together super quick. There's minimal waste and um, it doesn't take as long as traditional building. So I was really right. inspired by that. Yeah, because... I feel like I've always seen constant developments and people inventing many things in the prefab world, but I have never really taken a look into where or how the consumers are actually using it. Well, I'd say the prefab housing and summer housing industry in Denmark is pretty extensive. Um, one of the things that surprised me is is actually how common prefabrication is here. Because when I was in the US, I felt like it was a lot less common. And I actually asked a contractor why it was. And he said, oh, if I have a one factory in Maryland, that's really good. One factory that's in Pennsylvania, that's really good. And I have a project in a different state. I need permits in every single state that these uh, elements are driving through. And if we have a construction delay or something, I have to reapply again for every single permit to drive these elements through each state. So right. it's so much more logistical cha uh, challenges. Yeah, it's a process that, that makes yeah, it more expensive exactly. and harder. It's a I lot see. more expensive and hard. And so in Denmark, you don't have to worry about anything like that because it's such a small country. So, and then there's also just but a it, higher degree of craftsmanship here as well. 
there's Thatcher guilds and there's, you take a carpenter education and there's car cabinetry, uh, uh, apprenticeships as well. So the level of oh, really? that's cool. Yeah. It's like an actual education though. Like you can get paid money to go study, to be a carpenter or a cabinet maker in Denmark. So it's wow. like the level of skill people have here is, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love working with like these skilled hand workers because they, they know so much about materials and joinery and everything. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just absolute pleasure working with them. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think to close, it would really be great if you can give a few words on the subject of living this natural lifestyle when building especially because in many aspects this is all new things right as you said before in the construction industries there are many systems that have been pre-made for synthetic materials so to go the natural way is not easy it'll require an extra effort but it will be worth the taking the leap and going that extra mile Yeah, I think, well, I think going the extra mile from day one to design for disassembly means that you're assuming that your building is not going to stand forever, first and foremost, which we already do. We build for a life cycle of 40 to 60 years. So mm -hmm. when we, we're already designing for that, but what if we take into account that this building is either going to have to be taken apart or be renovated? If we're designing our buildings like that, then when we take it apart, we're doing so in a way that's causing less damage to the environment. And given that the building mm -hmm. industry is so polluting, I think that's how we need to start thinking because it's something that you already do with your clothes. When you have too many clothes, you might think about donating them or you might think about thrifting them or sewing them so that they fit you in a different way or right. you know, sorting your trash, but you don't think about sorting your building materials as much. <laughs> So when I design these panels, I design them in a way so that every material can be taken apart and the eelgrass can be stripped and then used as fertilizer for your garden, should you need it. And so every bit and piece can be recycled, reused, or broken down. And I want us to start thinking more that way in the building industry. Where is this material going after its life has ended? Um, mm -hmm. And I think if we think about it like that, then we'll just be building for a much better future for all of us. That's awesome. Look, Catherine, you're such an inspiration that at such a young age, you've already found your passion, followed through with it, and accomplished a lot with it. And thank you so, so much for sharing. Really nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please connect with us on our website and social media. Our Instagram is the design story with two Y's because one Y was already taken. But in all seriousness, we would really love to hear from you. So shoot us feedback, questions, and share with your friends. If this is your first time on Story of Design, welcome to the community. Subscribe and leave a review if this motivates you in some ways. Take care and stay inspired! <laughs>